second, Peter. Welcome to Happy Hour. Uh, glad to be here, Tyler. Looking forward to talking with you. Hey, it's great to be on Friday Happy Hour for the first time. Well, guys, uh, it's great to get together with you. It's a beautiful May day. Summer is right around the corner. Could not imagine a more perfect afternoon to grab some drinks with our buds on ASPN. Catching up with our host, Derek, why don't you get the first round? I am excited to get the first round. Uh, I hope you're all drinking something frothy and delicious. Um, but I have, a, I have a good little story to, to tell. Um, and I actually got it from a clip that I saw on Coastal News Today. Shall I kick it off? Go for it. So do you guys remember the Leonardo DiCaprio movie called The Beach? It came out in the year 2000 when Leo was at his sexiest and most popular following, uh, following that big movie about a boat. How could I forget it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the movie didn't do that well. Um, but uh, this recently this winter, I was going on a little beach vacation myself to Puerto Rico, and I decided I needed to, re- uh, to, to read something that was a, a bit lighter and easier to transport than The Gulf, which is an awesome book. You guys uh, uh, interviewed the, or someone on, on ASPN interviewed the author of The Gulf, but it's a real heavy tome. So I decided to pick it up. Yeah. The, the, inter- the, the Jack the, Davies, right? Isn't that his name? Jack Davis. So I will put in a plug for both his book as well as that podcast. It inspired me to pick up that book. However, the book is hardcover and like 700 pages long, so I didn't want to carry it on a flight. So I picked up a, a good beach read uh, called The Beach. Um, the book itself is okay. It's not great. Um, it's sort of uh, Lord of the Flies for adults. Um, it's about a, a, a guy that finds this secretive beach in... Um, Thailand and lives there on this sort of commune-esque kind of idyllic life that turns out to be not quite as idyllic as as living on a beach might seem to be. Anyway, uh, read the book, enjoyed it, fine, didn't think about it. And then sure enough, today on on Coastal News Today, I I saw an article about the actual beach in Thailand where the film was shot. It's uh, called Maya Bay. uh, And it's, if you go, if you Google Maya Bay, it is as picturesque and beautiful as you can possibly imagine lush green hills diving into a almost entirely encircled bay um, with beautiful white coral sand beaches Um, just absolutely spectacular you can see why they chose it as the setting for this sort of impossibly utopian beach in the movie Um, however following the movie this idyllic beautiful bay beach um, has become overrun with tourists. They say they get 5,000 tourists a day. Uh, and so in October, they, uh, the Thailand, the Thailand Natural Resources Department or the, the National Parks Department in Thailand shut it down um, to tourism and said, you know, no more. It's, it's sort of being loved to death. And the announcement today was that they're going to keep it closed until at least 2021 to help some of the ecology recover as well as uh, building some facilities to help better maintain and make sure that those who do show up to the beach um, don't overuse it and don't love it to death and don't kill the coral that's happening, uh, as well as a lottery system that would limit the amount of visitors. So uh, just really interesting, you know, loving a beach to death. Absolutely. You know, uh, this is an interesting thing because I see, especially now with social media, man, like there's a whole industry of people traveling around the world to these gorgeous, I mean, absolutely gorgeous beaches, but the ability for the infrastructure capacity to accommodate all of these people is just not there. And I've heard, I've heard like, you know, like E. coli issues and, you know, sanitation issues. And 
uh, you know, it's a little fire festivaly in a way. <laughs> That's a different, a different use. But you know, the court, the coast is where we love to go. And uh, now that we've got you know enough people with enough money on the planet moving around and finding the most spectacular quote unquote remote beach there's no part of the planet that's remote anymore you can take a boat down to antarctica if you feel like it and you have a big enough checkbook so these places that are super special like uh maya bay in thailand and Boracay Island in the Philippines. And Tyler, this is one that you're talking about. This place had to be shut down recently by uh, by the government in the Philippines because there's there's no sewer system there. And there's thousands of people showing up. And of course, it's polluting the water. But it's, it's one of, these are just a couple of places around the planet that get loved to death. The, the, the Mount Everest base camp, not coastal, in Tibet was recently closed because there's so much trash. The Faroe Islands in the Denmark have been closed by the uh, by by Denmark uh, because overuse of tourism and damage to the environment. There's another fantastic place in Indonesia called Komodo Island, recently closed, and uh, in Iceland, even in Iceland, in some of the uh, the canyons that have been uh, uh, closed off. And I think because you know there's a, there's 7.5 billion of us, y'all. Uh, there's a bunch of us and we all have, you know, jets and we got, we got, we got tickets on jets and we can get around and, um, we love the tourism and the beach economy thrives on that. Peter, I didn't realize you had a jet. Yeah, I got a jet. I, <laughs> I just I, I just learned to fly it. It's fantastic. <laughs> so another sort of adding, sorry to make this a depressing uh, Friday afternoon happy hour. I should have come up with a happy topic. We'll call it a Friday depressing work. We're wrecking beautiful places. But another layer to this uh, that is also something that's a lot of communities are addressing, two more issues. One, um, one of the reasons there's been a lot of impacts to coral is obviously everyone's wearing sunscreen. And increasingly, we're seeing sunscreen have real uh, certain types of sunscreen have real detrimental impacts to corals. Um, so that's that's been uh, another aspect of this. Um, the, the sort of good side, the flip side is that uh, last June, they, uh, the national governments replanted and are starting to re, uh, rejuvenate the coral program by planting 10,000 corals. And at least according to the reports that I was reading, they were doing phenomenally well for replanted corals until just recently when the sea temperatures have risen uh, to 90 degrees Fahrenheit and above, which is just simply too hot for most corals. And so they're actually experiencing bleaching events. So while there has been some uh, demonstration that this area can be revived, can be rejuvenated, that if you if you remove people from the equation, there is an opportunity to bounce back. Natural systems are often very resilient um, if you remove the stressor, the stressor in this case being people. However, uh, that is being threatened by climate change. Uh, so even in you know the remote parts of the world, you, you can't, our systems aren't, you, you can remove the stressors, but our systems may not be as resilient as they once were because of this added layer of, of climate change. So sorry to be depressing, but uh, fascinating story brought together a lot of things and, and it caught my attention because because um, I had just read the book. so Well, good God, Derek. After that, I'm going to have to ask Peter to get us another round. And, uh, <laughs> maybe something a little lighter. Maybe. <laughs> well, let's do the flip. Let's do the good. Let's do the good news. Uh, good news side of tourism. Uh, in 2018, the state of New Jersey had $44.7 billion of tourism income. They announced just recently, covered in Coastal News Today, but $44 billion. And, you know, I know it's called the Garden State, but... Uh, 
I when I think of New Jersey, I'm not thinking vacation. And I no offense to all y'all folks up there in New Jersey, but 44 billion and uh, and there's a story in Coastal News today coming out tomorrow about Santa Cruz, California, Tyler, over in uh, your fair state of the, the Golden State of California. Uh, Santa Cruz County broke a billion dollars in tourism revenue in 2018, and uh, it's because and they attributed in the article to the incredible surf and beach culture of Santa Cruz County, California. So, you know, there are places where we get to go to the beach that are absolutely fantastic and lovely, and we do not mess them up there. I mean, there's a carrying capacity here. And I think it's not depressing to say there's not an unlimited amount of people that can be in one place in one time, you know, whether it's Central Park in New York City or, you know, Maya Bay in Thailand. So, I think we can get better at that and manage that and people can love these places and uh, love them not to death, but, uh, you know, get good pictures and get home. Thank I appreciate that. that is some happy, uh, some happy news. And I think you're totally right. I mean, uh, for every example of a place that, I mean, and you know, I have to say some of these places, it seems that are, that as you put, I think very rightly, they're loved to death. You know, people want to be there, but at some point, wouldn't you, you'd imagine you'd reach a tipping point where you'd not want to go anymore. If it's, if the water makes you sick or if the uh, place is littered with trash at some point, wouldn't you expect to see a, a, a exodus from those spots? I think there's a, a Yogi Berra quote, no one goes there anymore, it's too crowded. Yeah, um, that, that applies to some places, right? I mean, I think the flip side of being loved to death is often that it is it is tourism that inspires the restoration, right? If, if you don't have an economic infrastructure to support restoration, places can also wither and die. You know, if you, you, and the Jersey Shore is a perfect example. Um, you know, they their economic... Uh, the economics of the Jersey Shore were declining. Atlantic Beach was really just casinos until they put into place a uh, really comprehensive, robust beach management um, system. And that sort of built the economics of the Jersey Shore and in turn has brought in more tourists, which has allowed New Jersey to be one of the only states that has created a state level permanent fund to maintain its beaches. So these things can be cyclically positive. You know, you, you, you create a good coastal environment that people want to come to, and that creates revenue to allow you to build and maintain that system. But obviously, it needs to be managed and maintained. So, But Jersey, I think, is a is a good example, although they, you know, they need to continue to make sure they're addressing sea level rise and not, and not um, you know, building out too much into floodplains. But, but certainly, the economics of the Jersey Shore are a great example of how uh, people can can uh, spur restoration and spur a cleaner, healthier environment. Yeah, it's key, right? I think so. I think so. I think you're totally right that it is key to account for the cost of being popular in a good place. You know, where I live in, uh, where I not no longer live, but grew up for many years, Ojai, California is a tourism town. And in the talk in the community among, amongst people my parents' age who have been living there for years and years and years is, has the tourism become too much? Is has has it gotten to a point where uh, the shops aren't for full-time residences, resident people who live there full-time, and that the uh, schools are, people aren't living there to go to school, they're living there to retire, and the schools are hollowed out? And at what point is it a the type of community that you'd want to live in? And, uh, you know, this is all part of the, the transformation of the shoreline that we're seeing everywhere. It's just good to see that it can be managed and that with some savvy uh, governance, we can do a good job there. 
Yeah, it can be handled. But um, I think there's a big question in my mind going into the summer. Uh, I, I got a call from my kid today who just finished his last class in college. And uh, summer's kicking off. Uh, Memorial Day is a week away, just a little bit. And uh, I have got my eye on Florida. And last summer was a rough summer for the state of Florida uh, because of the red tide problem. And, you know, Governor DeSantis came in, uh, was elected, put a big emphasis on the problem, fired everybody on the South uh, Florida Water Management District board, went to the legislature. They did pass some some legislation. I mean, they they put together a special task force. They they've named a state chief scientist. I mean, they've they've taken a, a, a swing at this problem. Now we're going into the summer. And uh, there's a story on Coastal News today about the first signs of the algae on the Florida's Gulf Coast. There's a, a couple of readings. This is early in the year. Not much, I have to say. Uh, no reason to panic. But uh, it goes to that question, Derek, that you you mentioned, which is the, the tight association between, and Tyler, that you mentioned, the quality of the environment, the draw for tourism, the economy, and the entire restoration programs of many communities depend on this stuff being in good shape. And I wonder what's going to happen in Florida if they have another season like they had last season. I I kind of worry for the state and I'm, I'm pulling for them. Yeah, it's such a fine line between having that sort of sustainable management and then tipping it in into overuse. I don't envy the many coastal managers out there who have to figure that out on a day-to-day-to-day basis. It's a heavily modified shoreline there in Florida, and uh, boy, they've got their work cut out for them. The way the shoreline has been uh, developed over the years and the population of the state has gone up, and increasingly, coastal tourism uh, becomes an, an increasing, an increasing uh, component of the state's economy. I do hope and I do believe that it will be figured out, but it's going to be a fascinating summer, something that we will be covering very closely on the podcast network, the American Shoreline Podcast Network, and on, of course, CoastalNewsToday.com. Guys, I'm going to quickly run off, get us our last round. I'm going to try to find something a little bit in the middle ground here of uh, high and low. Uh, kind of that medium tide, right? But um, I'll tell you what I want to talk about is uh, we, Peter and I, did a uh, show f- uh, that will come out on Monday, a great show, the American Shoreline Podcast, our flagship program. And uh, I forgot to ask the guest, Gary Glick, a question, but I want to talk about the question with you guys. And it's it 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 gets at the core of how attitudes are changing about our environmentalism and our climate uh, in in the face of climate change. And uh, we covered uh, EarthX up in Dallas, Texas, uh, which is a really interesting uh, conference. But we had the opportunity of interviewing Sheldon Whitehouse, the senator from Delaware. Uh, and he, excuse me, from Rhode Island, um, Am I correct on that, Derek? You're our you're our DC man. Yep. Thank you. 
Sheldon Whitehouse from Rhode Island took over from uh, John Chafee, who, or sorry, Lincoln Chafee, uh, who was one of the most conservation-minded Republicans really in, in, I think, probably our nation's history. But Whitehouse has been an absolute coastal and climate champ. He really, I mean, he really thinks that we need to take action there. But his, he was like, Peter asked the question, why are you here? And he said, this is the gathering where, you know, Republicans come and talk about climate change. And really what I what I want to talk about is this gulf, because this rift between uh, progressive activists in the environmental arena and uh, conservative people who work and are actually looking to solve some of the same problems. And yet they are culturally divided. Uh, at EarthX, it was actually quite stark because they were in different buildings almost. <laughs> like the programming was separated. Uh, and I wanted to ask, I totally forgot, but I wanted to ask our guest, Gary Glick, who, who runs a nonprofit. He's a total activist. He is building an artificial reef down in uh, South Texas, uh, that really is designed to mimic, this is not like a diving reef. This is a, uh, habitat restoration project. And, uh, but he has managed to bring people of all stripes together. Uh, he's got conservative fishermen that want to go out on their big boats and be sure they can catch fish all the way to the turtle people, the, the sea turtle ink folks, the turtle activists down there, which are a, a vibrant community of, I think it's fair to say, you know, kind of bead wearing, uh, maybe like hemp clothing kind of folks, uh, who patrol the beach looking for the turtles. Uh, and it's just a, it's such an awesome thing to see those two communities coming together around, a successful project and it is a reminder uh, i think for all of us that this is absolutely possible to do and uh what do you guys have to th say about that this, this has just been on been on my mind the past few days so tyler i thought you were going into uh the announcement by the ceo climate dialogues that came out this week have you heard about this i haven't tell me about it so uh, the CEO Climate Dialogues is a collaboration of, uh, I believe, around 13 uh, U.S. and global Fortune 500 companies. Um, and they came out with an announcement this week that advocates pretty serious uh, climate reduction goals. And we're not talking like, you know, a bunch of, you know, Patagonia, REI, crunchy hippie companies. This includes uh, BP, as in the BP oil spill BP, City, Dominion Energy, Dow Chemical, DuPont, Ford Motor Company, Shell, Unilever. These are like major companies that largely profit from some sort of carbon uh, pollution, to be quite blunt. But they've come out and said, no, we need to take real action and, and address it. Now, I, I know there's going to be a lot of the conservation community that say they're calling for action that is much less than what's necessary. Um, what they're calling for wouldn't address the bulk of the changes. But it is really interesting to see these companies are coming out and saying, you know, climate change is here. It's real. We need to do something about it. We can't, uh, you know, we, we need to do something about it. So interesting, interesting progress from from major corporations. Yeah. I mean, Peter, wouldn't you say that that's kind of the pattern we're seeing uh, more broadly, especially at EarthX? I mean, this was this was stark to see all these companies there. Well, it, I, I think it it I think you're right that the the rift is is starting to close, and it's starting to close in interesting sectors. I don't think the general Amer public in America 
is moving too quickly. Um, I think there's the divisions are 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 pretty self taught and self reinforcing right now. But if you look at major corporate investors and in, including the oil and gas industry, or you look at what the real estate industry is doing, especially real estate investment trusts, large scale investors in coastal properties and development, or you look at the insurance industry or the US military or investors who are planning to get rich off of climate change and God bless them. They're going to, if they can get rich solving this problem, I'm for them. So I do think, and that was clear to me at EarthX, uh, the U S military, uh, the, the energy panels were filled with a discussion of what's happening in climate change and what the response has to be. And these were from industry folks because You know, here's my pitch on this thing. Reality is a good teacher and it is very persistent. And you can hold belief, which is how I understand what happens with a lot of folks on this issue. I believe it's not true. Well, you can believe whatever you want. You can believe the sky is green. The question is, what do you understand? And that requires information and an open mind. And reality is going to show you what's occurring. And I don't think... Uh, there's any doubt that given enough time, the American public is going to come to understand that this is a significant problem in need of resolution. I'll tell you one thing coming out on Coastal News today, tomorrow. There is, this is an unusual article. It's a, the Florida legislature just finished their session. And here's a editorial piece, a point of view piece by a Republican senator from the great state of Florida talking about the $682 million comprehensive package for water quality restoration and and, and responses to sea level change. I mean, these are not the kind of topics that you would typically hear coming from conservative senators and state senators in the Southeast part of the United States. The world is teaching us and Florida is starting to listen. They know this red tide thing is a problem. They know climate change is real. The city of Miami does. And the rest of us will catch up eventually. And with that, I think I've caught up on my drinks. Uh, Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure sharing happy hour with you all. Have a great weekend. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. And uh, thanks, Derek. Yeah, you too, Peter. Tyler, take care. Thank you.